0: This is Julio Rodriguez and this is the Lookout Landing podcast. It's a full tank in the getaway, get away. So before I break your heart, you should get the engine store. Smell it like a nice drive in the summertime, sunshine, move on to help you move on.
1: Hello everybody and welcome back to the Lookout Landing Podcast. My name is Matthew Robertson, the host of this here show. Thank you as always for tuning in. Uh, today we have a special guest calling from Arizona where she is at spring training. But first I must introduce my loyal co-host, the one who I can always count on. Uh, this is this is a shot at our other co-host who is <laughs> celebrating his birthday. Heavy, heavy air quotes. No one really knows what that means. Um, I guess that's a I too enough had excuse. a quarantine
2: birthday. I did not do anything, so I'm not sure what John is off to do.
1: That's a great point. That is a great point, John. If you're listening, uh, please come on the pod next week, which is your <laughs> job, and explain to us why you are not here. <laughs> um, but anyway, Kate, how are you? What's I'm going good. on in your life?
2: I'm good. Uh, I'm really excited to that the season is getting here. Um, I also have to say though. I'm worn down. I counted and I've done nine of 13 spring training recaps. I got a reprieve today. John is supposedly doing it. We'll we'll see. Um, but I think I'd done like four or five straight and I was like, man, I'm tired of doing these recaps. And I was like, oh boy, the play- <laughs> if I'm tired of writing the recaps, I can only imagine how tired the players must be, especially those like back half guys who seem to get, you know, the Reinheimers and Dylan Thomases and O'Keeffe's who seem to just be out there all the time. So solidarity with you Mariners players who do
1: not have an off day. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I have the same thought, especially on, what was it, Friday night when they played in the rain. I was like, none of these guys... Deserve oh my this! God, like that game to... looked miserable. Obviously, they want to play, but like if it's raining sideways, I think that any game of the looks minor so league poor guys.
2: poor Garrison Bautista, our poor little Dominican flower, who just looked wilted on the
1: mound. But I was thinking, actually, like, obviously these guys need innings, but also like just let them go home. Like you're not going to learn that much no, if they no. can't even hold on to the ball.
2: No, actually, our our guest today was maybe at that game. Maybe I don't. Let's Should find oh, out. Yes. Is this a segue? <laughs> <laughs> Is this a
0: segue? I froze along with everybody else.
1: <laughs> that guest is Shannon Dreyer, who was freezing in Arizona on Friday. Oh. I'm sure it's a little warmer now. But, uh, Shannon, how's it going? What's, what's life like in Peoria right now?
0: You know, it's a lot different. We have done this for a long, long time, and obviously we're under the the COVID protocols, so it's been an adjustment, not getting to go the places that I've been able to go for the last 20 years. You can barely even step inside the facility. The media room is the only thing that is open to anyone. So uh, it's kind of I've been looking longingly over the fence that, oh, yeah, I used to walk back there and go through that door and sit on that golf cart and be able to talk to guys, you know, Anytime I wanted to. And uh, we just can't do that this year. So we have to follow stricter rules. But at the end of the day, we are out on a field watching baseball, uh, hearing the sounds, seeing the sights that we would normally see this year. And it's right around the corner. And it looks like we're going to get the full 162. So you can't be too upset about it. But you know, there's no denying everything is different right now.
2: Oh, it does stink because there's so much of a ritual associated with spring training. This is the first year I haven't gone in a couple years and, you know, you can't go out to all the places that you like to go out and eat and you can't, can't hang around on the fields and take in the sunshine and see like a weird Miners B game. No Miners there, pl- Miners players, that, that feels like it would be something that's weird.
0: Is. And there's just kind of a, you know, there's a life to the clubhouse and the behind the scenes that you see and you feel. And, you know, as uh, a radio reporter and, and in writing for the website, I want to give that to the fans. I know the fans want that. It's not always about just the numbers and the wins and the losses. They want to know who these guys are, what it looks like, what it feels like down here. And it's that much harder uh, to bring it to people. But, you know, you hope that a year from now it will be a different story, perhaps even midseason season. There will be more access and that you can bring that and uh, the minor league side was an intriguing side and and watching what was going on over there and being able to sneak back to a backfield and and see all the names that you've been hearing about forever or perhaps sit next to a kid's parents in the in the two little rows of bleachers that they have there and and talk with them and and just kind of really kind of get the feel for what it's like for uh, them and for their kids that are out there it's uh, something that is just sorely missed it's totally different I was out in the fields today, and you know, since the fans aren't allowed in the backfields, now the players are kind of in those bleachers and in those stands, and they're watching everything. And I think you probably heard quite a bit last year how the rotation, they would all come out and watch each other's bullpens whenever they would show the bullpens or whenever they would throw a bullpen, now they're coming out even for the sim games, even to watch the relievers throw. And they're just all sitting where the fans normally would have been sitting. So, you know, I think they get a little bored too, and so that's something that they can do and go out and see that. But, uh, you know, that is something that is born of the situation that we are in right now. Probably wouldn't have happened if they didn't have that opportunity to go out there like that, and we'll see how that impacts things.
1: Yeah, I I was was going to ask if it's – I was just going to ask you Shannon is it still fun down there like what what is what is there to do when you're not at the field is the field now like I know it has a different feeling with all the protocols and you know less people around but are you still feeling the like good vibes of spring training like I feel like it's always been a little bit of like a a spring break with some work mixed in it's got to feel much different now.
0: Yeah, I think the guys are having fun when they're out in the field, and I think that this is something, you know, what's going on right now and what they went through last year as a team, I think it's something that's really pulled them a lot closer together because they just have not had the options that they have had of things to do, both uh, in work and the time that they're on the complex or away. So I think along those lines, uh, you, you see them out, and you hear kind of the the friendly or the the, the banter and the wagering on some you know was watching uh, they were throwing some live b p sessions today, and I think it was uh tay Guer- was saying that he was he could throw one more hitter and uh, that he was going to strike him out and he heard from the dugout oh yeah well twenty five dollars if you do this or whatever and I think it might have been Eric Foley. I'm not sure who stepped to the plate but the first pitch. He almost hit out. Certainly wasn't a strikeout, but they were kind of hooting and hollering over that. And You hear Perry Hill still out in the field. Stop it to everybody and, you know, that kind of thing. So there is definitely, you know, lightheartedness in the practices. But away from the field, there are people that are, you know, obviously the players can't do a lot. I'm sure you've read all the protocols and what they're allowed to do. Uh, the media is not tiered, so we can do whatever we want, but I am somebody who's on the extreme end. I don't want to get anybody sick, so I'm basically home and the ballpark and, and doing the pickups and everything else like that. So um, along those lines, that part, not so fun, but you just have to get through it and, again, be thankful that, yeah, it's, I'm here, it's sunshine, and there's baseball. It could be much, much worse.
1: Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. And I'm sure anyone who couldn't make the trip down there for COVID reasons would be happy to hear that, you know, like it's better than you being like, oh, yeah, everything's great. We're living our normal lives, you know, like (laughs) making people feel bad about not being there. Um, What is like the so when you're at the games, right? Like, does it feel because they're letting fans in and there's, you know, a decent capacity. Does that feel normal or at least as normal as it can get? Or is it more of like just a reminder of how things used to be?
0: No, it felt really normal really quickly. It doesn't take a lot because most of these games have maybe 2,000 people at them, but you hear them. And so instead of the the piped-in canned crowd music, you hear actual crowds, and and that has been wonderful. Um, You hear the kids at the ballpark. That's something that really jumped out at me a couple of nights ago at Camelback Ranch, and that was fantastic to hear. Um, You hear some of the heckling. You hear some of the individuals because there aren't as many people, but – you know, one of the things that I have found is that when you walk into a stadium and you see so many people, you feel kind of heartened by the whole situation because everybody has got masks on and you realize we are all in this together. And these people, everybody is here because they love baseball and they're doing things the right way. Of course, a lot of the masks come off in the stands. That's another issue. But when you're walking through the concourse, uh, there's just kind of a uh, a togetherness feel, and that, yeah, you know what, we're getting somewhere. We couldn't do this a year ago. Now we can do this. It's only a percentage, but it really means something to have the fans out there. And it, there's just some really interesting takes on having the fans. Some of the guys are saying that it might have been helpful for such a young team not to have fans in the stands last year, and that goes for the away cities, too. It took some of the spotlight, some of the pressure off of them, and now this is something new that they're going to have to deal with this year because they, at some point, will see crowds bigger than what they saw in the minor leagues. I found that to be interesting, and uh, I I think they're just all going to be so happy to look look out and see nothing but cardboard. I think that was a little bit eerie at times. And uh, Scott Service was remarking the other day in one of those rain games, um, I think it was against the Reds, we thought that they were going to call it. Well, I was up in the booth for the final innings of that, and, and we had had enough. We were ready to go at that point. It was cold. It was wet. It was miserable, and Scott went out to talk to David Bell, I think, and I turned to Rick Rizzo. And I said, I think this is it. and He's like, no, I'm not sure, and we're going back and forth about it, and then Scott trots back into the dugout because Bell had more pitchers that he wanted to throw, so they went another half inning. Scott told Rick he could hear us discussing it. this morning and so i'm like yeah rick was the one who wanted to then, not me (laughs) which is totally not true but um yeah totally different and you really have i came away with a bigger appreciation for the fans and the impact that they have on games after just not having them there it was something that just grabbed you right away it's not sad having the fans in the stands right now The first time I had to walk into T-Mobile last year for for the first game that we – no, it wasn't the first game, but the first practice that we covered, that was totally different. A, we were all masked up. B, I couldn't, you know, go to the entrance that I normally went to. We all had to line up on the overpass, all distanced, and I was standing there, and, you know, the emotions hit me. You know, I had tears in my eyes, didn't know that that was going to happen and uh, just, you know, gratefulness for being able to walk into a ballpark even though uh, the areas that I could go to were probably limited to to about a 20-yard radius up and, you know, right behind home plate. And then on opening day when there were no fans there and and seeing them try and do whatever they could to make it somewhat festive, you really felt how much was missing. And, uh, you know, I've always had an appreciation for, realizing that everybody watches the game different. You know, there are people who go to a game because they are absolute baseball fanatics. There are people who go and, you know, love the numbers. There are people that go and love the uniforms and the jerseys and the hats and, and the stuff. There are people that go to hang out in the pen. There are people that go that are going to talk the entire time that they are there, and that's all fine. Everybody watches the game differently. Everybody is fans differently. And to have none of that in the park and none of that buzz that they all bring, that was the toughest thing.
1: I bet. Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know, you mentioned this earlier. um, You've been on this for about 20 years, you said, um, on the Mariners beat, seeing everything from spring training through the end of each regular season. And so that includes, you know, seeing a lot of these guys For years, like Kyle Seeger, I mean, James Paxton is back now. Have you talked to them specifically, some of the older guys, about, like, what is it like now doing this, you know, different version of spring training? Or, like, the the feeling of, oh, we're actually going to get through it this year compared to last year where they had to shut it all down midway through?
0: Yeah, I've talked to a number of guys about it, and, and I think that getting through last year and understanding the protocols... Uh, really helps going into this season. When last year ended, I, you know, that was 60 games. And while I wasn't able to talk to anybody in person, I did have a lot of Zooms and a lot of calls. And I really kind of got the feeling, and, and we were watching everything in front of us, too, that there might have been kind of a weariness, kind of a fatigue at everything that they had to do to play. They all wanted to play. That was something that really struck me from the get-go when they started playing, even before that when I was talking to guys leading up to the agreement to when they could play. uh, This is what they do. They wanted to be out there. But I really kind of questioned how are they going to do 162 because 60 seemed to take a toll. But in talking to guys this year, uh, I, I think that the protocols and the testing I think it's it's a lot more, it's just part of the routine now. And, you know, baseball players, are, are there more routine-oriented creatures on the planet? Probably not. <laughs> so I think along those lines, uh, that's pretty big, that they've done it, they know how it works. I think there's some optimism that things will loosen up too as the season goes on. And the other thing in talking to guys about kind of getting through it in, in that regard is, is because it was so short, a lot of guys didn't have their families with them last year. Most of the guys were living at the hotel across the street, and that had a strain. That took a toll on them. And interestingly enough, the toughest thing for them, uh, almost to a man, they said, is they just really had a hard time. There was no way to kind of blow off steam after a game. They basically just had to go back to the hotel. There was nothing, It was hard to, to let go of the game and that is something that a lot of guys thought that if you didn't learn how to do that that could impact uh, performance so uh, just very different landscape for them and what they did on a day-to-day basis some things that you could see and then other things like just you know leaving the, the game at the ballpark across the street that were very tough but I think the biggest you know thing that is going to be different for them this year is they know how it works I think almost all of them will have their families with them so along those lines it'll be a little bit more normal
1: So before we get to the baseball conversation sorry Kate um, I just wanted to ask you Shannon about what it was like last year Um, we have read a lot of stuff you know about being in spring training when they said it when they told everyone to go home but I want to I want to kind of relive that if you can and talk to us about the feeling of getting sent home last year versus now where you're able to actually see this thing through to the end I mean fingers crossed obviously.
0: Yeah, last year it was absolutely wild. Uh, you know, we were we read everything. We, you know, we're news people <laughs> were into everything that's going on. So, you know, we kept hearing about the cases and that it was wild that it was Seattle and Kirkland that was just, you know, the, the focal point of everything. It was the center of everything that was going on uh, with the coronavirus in this country. And then so along those lines, there was a little bit of fear because we all had loved ones that were back in the Seattle area. So that was tough right there. So you were trying to learn everything you could about it because it was impacting us probably more than any other, uh, you know, writing core in, in the game. And, uh, you know, found out that, okay, you're not going to be able to open at home. We're going to stay down here and play some games. It's not safe to go back. That was strange. You don't want to hear that. And then one day, all of a sudden, you know, we, we find out there's some new rules for the media and. You're, you know, we're you're not allowed in the clubhouse anymore. We'll do interviews outside. Scott's Service will talk at a table and with distance chairs out back behind the complex instead of his office every morning. If you want players, we'll go in and we'll get them. We will pull them out. You need to stay six feet apart. And I remember just kind of being a little put out by that and thinking, you know, we're going to be responsible. We're going to be careful. What the heck? You know, we know what to do. Um, and not thinking what was going on was a huge deal. And, of course, that would all change within a couple of days. So, you know, the Rudy Gaudet thing happens and that's when the buzz starts and are they gonna shut this down? You know, we were looking at the Mariners being the ones who are gonna be put out because they couldn't go home for the homestand. Next thing you know, it looks like everybody. And it just, it accelerated so quickly. It went from you can't go in the clubhouse one day to, you know, you have to talk to guys outside the next day to the, we're we're done, we're shutting it down, we'll keep the complex open, they'll work out, and then two days later they close the entire complex down. And if anybody follows me or Kelly Monroe on Twitter, I think you know what we did uh, when all of that happened. (laughs) We had like one final dinner and all the media went out and there was no way I was getting on a plane. No way in the world. You know, I was convinced that the planes were just, you know, Covid carriers and whatever Covid was at that point didn't seem to make sense to get on a plane. Uh, not quite understanding the engineering of air circulation on planes. Now I understand it's not a bad place to be, but um, <laughs> at that time it We've was. we all learned uh, so much, really. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, you know, you know, that, it's it's better to find out uh, or let somebody else find out We're about it like than, than to take 10% your chances.
2: Scientists now, I feel like
0: with all this. Oh, it's crazy! It's crazy that and you know we know elbows and 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 ulnar collateral ligaments and and uh, now mm-hmm, adductors mm-hmm. pretty well too. Oh I, yeah, I've never, adductors. I'll never. I think the first flexor bundle that the I think Joel Panero invented the flexor bundle. I think that's <laughs> who I remember first coming down with one. I, what's this? I've never even heard of this. Now yeah. it's like everything. Mitch Hanniger,
2: man, he's sent me on a lot of WebMD quests. <laughs>
0: Man, I think he's invented something. (laughs) But, yeah, everything closes down. So Kelly Monroe, who, of course, uh, is um, PR goddess, media relations, uh, save us all, all the time. Uh, We both looked at each other across the table at this, like, last dinner that we were having. I'm like, I'm not flying. She says, I'm not flying. So the next morning, I went and rented a car. We loaded it up, uh, filled it up with suitcases, shoes, and toilet paper. And we hopped in the car and we we drove back straight 22 and a half hours from here to Seattle. And it's like when you want to get home and when you got to get home, you go. And we did. And, you know, it was a scary feeling because you, we didn't know what was happening with the world. And we were a 22-hour car ride away from our families. And it was just go. And you didn't know what you were going to find when you got there either. So... Um, It was very end of the world for a couple of days. Yeah, very,
2: very apocalypse movie type. We had John and Isabel, two of our staffers, drove cross country Mm -hmm. during the whole thing, too, because their jobs in New York got shut down. So they drove back and, you know, sleeping. I mean, you can't make that drive in one day. So like Mm -hmm. sleeping in their car outside Walmarts and with other people doing the same thing because no one wanted to go in hotels. Just very, very end of the world vibes.
0: But we survived it, and we're back.
2: (laughs) You and your shoes. (laughs) You and all your shoes made it back.
0: What kind of shoes do you need for the end of the world? I don't think (laughs) i back for that.
2: (laughs) Again, more things that we did not know that we were going to be thinking about a year ago. It has been interesting to look back on things a year later. I was at spring training, too, and um, when things got – Brittany, one of my friends, Brittany Bush, actually was coming – down on the day that everything got shut down so she like literally touched down i picked her up from the airport we saw that all the games were canceled and we basically like turned around and made return flights to go home i think she was in phoenix for like half a day basically mm. we went and ate at like um that 50s style soda shop in mm-hmm, i can't remember what five and now. diner or whatever yeah, mccallan's or McAllister's oh, mccallister's yeah 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 uh, just went there and then basically to the airport and that was Britney's spring training trip. I felt awful, but I was worst so struck. spring training ever. <laughs> worst spring training ever. Although I don't know, not being able to go this year is is rough as well. Although at least there are some fans in the stands. Um, but I was really struck by how because I was like texting some of my sources and the organization and texting like Mariners coaches and stuff and players and no one. Knew anything. I mean, everyone, it felt like everyone was making everything up as it went along, which was um really weird and new and not in a
0: good way, kind of scary. Well, I think they just didn't know how to deal with anything. They didn't have a plan, I think, for a mass pandemic no. at, at that point. And, you know, I think that when it happened originally, baseball was like, oh, that's a Seattle problem. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then. <laughs> Things started happening fast after that. No, no,
2: not so much. Yeah, I do remember that um, it seemed like, oh, maybe just the Mariners alone weren't going to be able to play any home games. Like, we were somehow going to be isolated, and then, no, very quickly that changed. But I do remember a couple days of the pandemic of wondering, like, oh, are the Mariners just going to, like, not be able, are are we just going to be, like, fortressed off from the rest of the country for a while? (laughs) Yeah.
0: nope nope it was uh you know the one thing i will give baseball credit for and i I think a lot of people did not really see it this way and they thought oh they're just so flat-footed once the season got going and you know they canceled games and the outbreak on the marlins and the cardinals Mm. i think you had to have that leeway i think you know you didn't want to do anything that was going to be absolute at that point and they they figured it out after that. You know, I think, you know, people wanted them to have a hard and fast plan on how they were going to deal with these things. But I don't even know how that was possible when we've never seen anything like that, and we still to this day don't know where anything is really going. So I, I think remaining flexible in it and just kind of putting their head down and, and moving forward turned out to be the okay thing to do. You know, you remember, they were the baseball was the first sport to go without a bubble and that i think in that regard when you look at the number of positives they had it's been far less than what we've seen or what we saw in the nfl during their season and they had the blueprint because baseball actually went out there and did it so i I give them a lot of credit for getting through the season and i don't think it was a bad thing that they didn't have a concrete plan i think you had to kind of make things up as you went along because you just didn't know
2: right Baseball also has the advantage of not being as contact as, as football. So, you know, you can kind of have players just out there, you know, the outfield is naturally kind of socially distanced, So it was a good, uh, training ground for everybody else. I feel I will miss, I enjoyed Kyle Seeger's neck gator, which he wore kind of <laughs> like a jaunty kerchief. Uh, I thought it was very dashing. I'll be sad yeah. to see that go.
0: He looked like quite the rogue with the gator and the, <laughs> the stubble and everything the stuff, else. I know, it's I know. like you know he needed like almost like a striped shirt and the bandana yes. kind of type you know. Was, yeah. Yes. That is Lurking good. around the corner in a Broadway musical or something like. <laughs> that. I'm not sure what, but yeah, I know what you're talking. I saw. It yeah, too. like sort of a <laughs> yeah, sea pirate vibe. Yeah, I, kind yeah. of on land, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Very fitting for the overall, you know, to be. Truly the embodiment of the Mariners, Kyle Seeger. <laughs> oh, Kyle Seeger. Maybe that's a segue into talking about uh, Mr. Over Overpaid. Um, obviously, the damaging com- comments by Kevin Mather. And um, man, I, I mean, now it's been a couple weeks. We've processed it. I'm still shocked at just his complete lack of filter and why you would ever think that's okay to say those things. Um, But I'm curious, like, what you how you've kind of observed the guys in the organization come together around this or like, has it been divisive or um, or maybe just even like walk us through? Because it was that was such a bombshell day for us, even like, you know, we started hearing about it and I was like, ugh this can't be as bad as people are saying, you know, everybody exaggerates on Twitter. And then I watched like the first five minutes of the video and I was like, Oh my God, this is going to be this bad. Like quick, somebody pull out the otter and let's get a, let's get a, a transcription of this. Cause this will not last long.
0: Oh, it was spectacular. That's a <laughs> Sunday morning. I don't think I'm going to forget for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember seeing the tweets start to come down about it and, um, I uh, looked at them, and I'm like, oh, it can't be that bad. Come on. You know, and so I'm reading the tweet that there was this conversation, and I'm reading some of the comments that were tweeted, and then I'm like, there's a video. (laughs) What? And at that point, you saw the video, and you knew it wasn't good, and, uh, yeah, he managed to hit everybody in that, which impressive
2: Uh, i've described it before as being like a scarface like just Just every (laughs) level everyone i mean from your dominican prospects to andy mckay who i don't think has gotten talked about enough as like somebody who should have been profoundly insulted by everything that was said um to really the fans themselves too right because he. I felt like there was an angle of it where because he was talking to this very select group of people, it almost felt like, or when he was talking about the parking garage and how he can charge money for it, it really felt like he was poking fun directly at the fans, these rubes who give us our their money. Yeah. yeah
0: well, he kind of did that with everybody that he talked about, you know, and uh, yeah. you know, yeah. along those lines. I mean, some of it, I think that any time that you do something like a, a, you know, the Bellevue Rotary breakfast or whatever it is you're speaking at, it is a bit of a performance. And, uh, you know, I, I think that there might have been some part of him as I've got to
2: entertain here. And, uh, oh,
0: you know yeah, that,
2: it, d- it definitely had that feeling. Like, here I am yeah. to pull back the curtain on baseball for you.
0: Yeah, but, no, you, you know, just the the thing, I don't even know where to start with what was most disturbing because there was so much, but the overall tone um yeah, it was just, I think you just described it very well. And I think that it did hit everything and it did hit all corners of the organization and the fan base. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of work to be done to regain the public's trust in this. And, I, you know, I can't say I don't, I am not exposed to that level of, of, of leadership, as much, you know, we're, we're around Jerry DePoto quite a bit, obviously Scott and the players quite a bit, but upstairs, up at that level, that's not something uh, that I'm interacting with in a day-in, day-out basis or very often for that matter, um, so, you know, to, to hear that it just, it, it was, I, I, you know, when they say that he does not represent the organization, well, course you don't want that to represent the organization and people well, do you see this do you hear this and you know I wouldn't want to work in that environment I would not be comfortable working in the environment environment I haven't been working in that environment it's that's I think whatever may or may not have been going on is something that's very separate from uh, where we are and uh, you know I certainly yeah, you just feel for all the parts of the organization that have been pulling so hard in one direction for so long Uh, to have all of a sudden everything painted with one brush. And, you know, uh, on our flagship station, the big question the next day was, who got hurt the most in this? Who should be most offended? And, you know, who got hurt the most? And for me, the answer was easy. Yeah, the Mariners. (laughs) It wasn't one person. It was everybody. And along those lines, you know, are the players kind of, pulling together over this. I think Marco Gonzalez's comments, you know, sometimes uh, you know, uniting over, he said something to the effect of a common enemy, well, that can be strong too. Um, I, I don't think um, you know this is going to be let go by a lot of people. I thought James Faxon was very forceful in his comments when he said uh, he didn't quite have his facts straight. There were other teams that were interested that, and that offered more. I came here because I wanted to come here and i think that's some indication of what i'm talking about in the split and that you know that i think uh, there's no chance that it was 100% representative or i think even close uh, of the organization i don't think you have the players coming back that do if that's going on right there but uh, i think that um, you know as i said it touched every corner of the organization the players uh included the manager the the, the general manager andy mckay as you point out right there and uh, it's going to take a while to get past. I think that the one thing that I think is encouraging in watching the guys down here is I don't think it will have impact on the play or on the season. And we are starting to see, yeah, it was the big national story you know, for a while in baseball. Now you're not hearing about it as much. Uh, that doesn't mean that everything hasn't been tucked away and people aren't going to forget some of the things that they heard. But, you know, on a day-to-day, minute-to-minute, game-to-game basis, uh, I don't think that it will have impact on this season.
2: It was luckily well-timed because the game started. And, you know, baseball is so, it's just one thing after another. Like, every day it's a new game. Every day it's a fresh slate. And uh, in that way, it was well-timed that these comments, even though they had happened earlier, what if they had been unearthed directly after they happened? And we had a whole month of people kind of writing think pieces about them and analyzing them and a month for these bad feelings to foment but instead it was okay well this happened we had like a few days to process it and then boom it was game starting up that next weekend so things things did things did start up and I feel like you can't forget what happened obviously I also think it was helpful that he was just so wrong about a lot of things and like the irony was he wa- he said these things, he wanted to present this, like, behind or inside baseball, but he got so many things wrong. Like, he got yeah. the Paxton thing wrong. He got Julio Rodriguez's English wrong. Like, anyone who's talked to Julio knows that he, his English is great. Uh, he got Marco wrong. Is a word that you would ever use to describe Marco Gonzalez boring? I mean... Do we no. forget how he said the Blue Jays came in and took a poo on our dining room table? Like, did we forget that quote already?
0: Or like as almost a rookie was accusing the Red Sox of sign stealing in one of his yeah. games. I'm like, yes. okay, kid, <laughs> yeah. when he said that, I'm like, you just did that, really? Who are you? The entire Boston fan base,
2: <laughs> a large portion of whom seem to reside in Seattle, judging from being at some of those games. Uh, yeah oh. I mean he's a he's a spicy he's a spicy guy like
0: oh fiery know. comes to mind first yeah. with Marco and really good COVID hair COVID hair might oh, actually be leading right now
2: it's mm. excellent the, the Aaron Goldsmith
0: are... when Goldsmith sees it in person he's just he's gonna give up
2: <laughs> but yeah I was struck by I was like, theoretically oh he mispronounced Terence's name not mispronounced like got the name wrong yeah. Um, I. It just it felt like, well, maybe there's some maybe there's something to be taken out of that. Like this person was trying to speak for all of us, but obviously he isn't he doesn't know who we are. And and that could be kind of a, a rallying cry among the, the players as well. Like this guy didn't know what the heck he was talking about.
0: I think you know they'll use it. It's funny. I was talking with Marco just a couple of days ago, and he said this team. You know, he really he like really likes the team right now. And he said that last year's experience was just incredible for him. And over the last year, he he hasn't you know he's had more fun with this group than he has with any other group before in his um, career, which I, I thought was interesting. And he said when he was characterizing them that uh, I think we have a little chip. On our shoulder and I kind of laugh well where'd they get that Marco and uh, I think that uh, this is something they use in that regard and they certainly don't like one of the things we said is I don't see you know why anybody should put a timeline on us and uh, I think it's just kind of more fuel for the fire for that group they got to go out and they got to do it and they've got to try and really, you know, do it with a lot of young players that don't have a lot of experience. But I think that that is just kind of all thrown into the pot of, you know, they're kind of tired of being where they're at. You know, nobody likes to lose. Nobody likes to uh, carry around 20 plus years of, of not winning. They want to be the group that brings it. And I think along those lines, that just... It is something that will be additional motivation. And then on an organizational level, it's, um, you know it, it could turn out to be one of the better things that has happened. We've already heard that they are going to reorganize their leadership structure. And I think that one of the good things about that is they've always insisted that the president is not getting involved on the baseball operations side. Well, now those two sides are going to be completely separate. I think that is something that'll be good for the organization.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, Kate. At no point during the Mather video did I think, "Oh, he kind of has a point there," which is incredible because <laughs> if you're making if you're making fifty points, you would think statistically at least one Statistic- of them would have a chance yeah, to be yeah. right. But none no, of them he were was right. Well
2: below the Mendoza line, he was. Uh, he was a pitcher hitting, on <laughs> what he was saying, <laughs> percentage wise.
1: Exactly. Uh,
2: How much do you think Marco, talking about he likes this team, uh, how much of that is Kendall Graveman, who seems to be fantastic? And, like, who are some of the personalities who are emerging as leaders in that locker room?
0: Well, you know, it's amazing that they got – they got as far as they did last year. And, and by far, it's just meaning continuing to develop with how little veteran leadership they had. And it doesn't always have to be vets. There can be younger leadership as well. But uh, Graveman just, you know, he embraces that role. He took it on from day one. Um, Marco, obviously, is, is one of them. You hear of when new people come to the organization, they get a phone call from Kendall Graveman, or they might hear from Marco Gonzalez. Uh, James Paxton is the a place where he... Uh, wants to be able to provide more of that. He and Gonzalez uh, are our good friends, and so that is great to have him back in that rotation as well. Uh, Kyle Seeger has kind of been, I, I don't know if it's a kind of a realization of where he was in the game or if it was a situation, if I want this to get better, I'm going to have to kind of help. He was not somebody who I think wanted to perhaps lead um, and he has, he totally in the last year, year and a half has totally taken on that role. And it, it's fun to watch the young players around Kyle Seager. It's, if you were watching the dugout during games last year, uh, there was like jostling for position. I mean, Kyle only had two elbows. You could only be on the left or the right. And there were <laughs> multiple players that wanted to be there.
2: And, you know, wh- think of who we had who was saying that Seager was a huge... Who was it, Matthew, do you know this? Who was it who we had as a guest who was talking about how Seager took him under his wing? Um, I believe it was
1: Sam Delaplane. I mean, he talked to him about, like, in the clubhouse about being, yeah, just about being a baseball player. Like, obviously, he can't learn pitching from Seager, but he did talk about how he looked at Kyle Seager as, like, a guy he could sort of confide in or ask any question he wanted to
2: yeah I was really surprised by that because I thought it was odd that a position player should be and he mentioned Seeger by name a couple of times I thought it was odd that a position player would be reaching out to a young pitcher and a bullpen guy at that um but he he said all those same things that like Seeger really stepped up and and sought him out not just like he went to him, but Seeger sought him out and helped him. And,
1: yeah, he would and tell him, now things- I'm remembering more. He told him that like, how his stuff played against a lefty, like That's Seeger would right. say, "Hey, when you throw this pitch, it looks yep. like this to a left-handed hitter." That was very cool.
0: Yeah, and if you don't have those interviews, nobody would know that because Kyle is so low key. You know, the joke is—you know—he's obviously not on Twitter. The joke is that he just—if it's not in a newspaper or something—he might not see it. and you know, he just—he wants to be. He wants to be ignored. He wants to just go play baseball, but he has been huge in that clubhouse, not just for the guys that are actually on the team, but those that are coming as well, which I mean makes sense. He grew up in a baseball family. He is very, very baseball, and I was talking with him a couple of days ago, and I didn't realize who his influences were and who you know, the veterans were who took him under their wing and who he looked up to uh, when he was coming up. And of all people, Willie Blomquist was one of the big ones. And uh, then Raul Baez was another. And if Kyle wasn't old school to start with, those are two very, very old school uh, players right there. Oh, and yeah. And just, you know, that's kind of like the last bit of that, I think, that you see in that clubhouse. So I found that kind of interesting that those I feel were.
2: Like you could definitely draw a line from Willie Bloomquist and his style of play and just his overall person, like his bearing, to Kyle Seeger, to. Cal Raleigh, are they friends? That seems like that would make sense.
0: I don't know. Cal's an interesting... Cal is so funny because I, I, you see him, and if you've been around the team and you hear him, you automatically think Justin Smoke. And... <laughs> he does
2: have that Carolina accent.
0: And, but he but... also
2: has a similar, I've joked before that there must not be like broadband in north carolina because cal also has no social media presence
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you could have a very good conversation with cal raleigh and you know being the catcher and he's somebody who has stood out and i think it's great that he's what in his second spring training and he's had so much exposure to the staff right here but he's really coming into his own with this staff and taking those steps forward and i, I can't count the amount of times that scott service has sung his praises which. You know, it, it's tough enough to, to be a young catcher. He's a young switch-hitting catcher. He's got a lot of stuff to take care of, but he's getting it done down here. I think he's got a good head on his shoulders. I have really enjoyed the conversations that we've had with him. But, yeah, I guess maybe. I'll have to watch and see if he's a little bit more seager But But, um, you know, another one, it's great to have Mitch Haniger back. And Mitch has said, uh, you know, I want to take on that role. And he's another that they all watch, not just the young players, but the Kyles and the Marcos, those Listening to one of the whatever, the two week of fanfest Mariners on YouTube all the time. Two uh, week yes, thing the, that we b- did. The baseball pajama bash or whatever. It was. Sure. Yes. Yeah. The two weeks that I will never get back in my life because there was something <laughs> every day. Because they took a spring tra- two hour spring training luncheon and turned yes. it into two weeks, two weeks. of work. Yes. Thank you, Mariners. It was so um, much
2: work to cover. That.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. And so it was, uh, oh, the, the Mitch fun. with meatloaf was the best thing ever, though. The Mitch with meatloaf was fantastic. But oh, yes. uh, Marco did something, and I forgot what it was. It wasn't a media event. It was a fan event. But he's like, we all look up to Mitch Hanager, or His nickname, we call him our champion. Yes. And, and yes. that's how he carries himself in the clubhouse, and that's how he attacks his work and everything else. he said He doesn't talk much, but just being around him. He's our champion, which was remarkable to say about a guy that hadn't been in the clubhouse for a year. And now that he's down here, he's starting to see more of the young players watch him. And Mitch was very animated when he was talking about that. that. Is something that he is more than willing to take on, that he wants to help lead this club, which was A, it was great to see Mitch, and B, it was great to hear that from him too. And then you've got younger leaders too. I think Kyle Lewis, even though he does seem to be a little quiet and a little understated, uh, there is a lot of fire with oh, that one. I could hear Kyle
2: line. Lewis on the broadcast today cheering for Taylor Trammell every time he went up. Let's go T! Let's go T! <laughs> every time. He must yeah. have been right by a field mic or something.
0: Well, that young group, they all came up together. So, of course, there were leaders in that group. And, uh, you oh, know, yeah, I, he I think... and
2: Evan White are really good buddies, too. He was at yeah. Evan White's wedding, I think.
0: They were. And, I mean, it's, Evan, I think, has got a lot going on with him right now and the old you can't lead until you're having success, that type of thing. But I did notice that when Evan White came up at the end of the season a couple of years ago, um, I don't think he was playing. I think it was one of those that they bring up just for the exposure. They had that day where they had the minor league awards. So there are a lot of minor league players that came in for these awards, and they all went straight to Evan White. It was, like, clear that he was the guy. Which was really, really interesting to see. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that evolves. Um, I was talking with Mike Cameron a couple of days ago. He's obviously a coach. I'm sure you heard he played out in the field with Ichiro a couple of days ago. But he's been working quite a bit with Kyle Lewis, and he's like that one. He wants to win another Rookie of the Year award. Well, obviously, you can't <laughs> can't do that. But uh, he is, you know, that's that's his thought. His thought is he wants to be one of the best and. Uh it's it's it'll be interesting to watch. And I, I can't wait because Kyle kept saying last year he didn't want the season to end, that he believed that you know it's a bit of a roller coaster. There are ups and downs and his up was right around the corner when the season ended. So, you know, length of season will be a very interesting thing to see with this group.
2: Yeah, I'm really excited to see Kyle Lewis, uh, who I imagine has some he's being projected as a regression candidate a lot of places and I feel like it's basically just people looking at splits and looking at the fact that he finished the year poorly and not actually watching Kyle Lewis at bats because, like, yes, he has the strikeout. He he's struck out a lot. Um, but he is so good at just getting the hit he needs to get. He really does know how to take pitches, and, and he'll get out of his approach once in a while. He's a young player, but I really like... I, I feel, Kyle Lewis is one who I feel like very bullish on as far as uh, his ability to repeat what he's done. The other one who I feel like has been kind of unfairly pegged with some discussions of his swing and miss issues is Julio, uh because he had that he had a really rough stretch in the Dominican uh in Lidom and I watched those games and and yeah, his plate approach was not good, but that also that was not Julio. Like that was not him working on stuff. That was just him swinging a bat and having fun and uh, i feel like this spring training you're seeing a lot more of the plate discipline and yeah, he's a young player and he's still learning but you can watch him learn during and at bat it's really fun to watch i think
0: yeah i think you know let's remember how old he's very young to start with and then he lost the entire season because of the wrist injury last year and you're, you, you hit the nail on the head he was having fun in the dominican but i think he got a lot out of that He keeps talking about being around the veterans. I guess Fernando Rodney took him under his wing, which is awesome. Um, and he was among the youngest players in in that league. You know, that's that's a tough league. There are a lot of good veterans in Latham, and and that's that's uh, that's a big step for Their him to go from. There are guys who are literally
2: four, like literally forty years old, and have been playing baseball for thirty years. <laughs> <laughs> like Fernando Rodney. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking of. <laughs>
0: but uh, you know it's great that he had that experience and so he gets to camp and I think that we think of Julio because everybody ties Julio and Jared Kelnick together well the Julio's experience has been totally different from Kelnick's experience and I I think that um, you look at well Julio didn't get a lot of hits last spring training Jared didn't either it's just that every one that he did was put on a tweet or a video or something like that but um, and then you look at what he did in lead him, and, and the results weren't there. It's not a big deal. I don't think too much was expected there. But to watch him this spring training, and if you just look at the numbers, you're not going to see it. But I have seen a progression with Julio from day one. And, you know, his plate appearances over the last, like, probably four or five outings, probably, probably three, four outings, have been absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that super
2: rainy Reds game was actually one that really stood out to me where he had just a couple really – he just worked walks, but they were really good at bats.
0: They were really good at bats and that when he is putting the ball in play, he is squaring it up. You're seeing, you know, he had the ridiculous exit velocity.
2: 111.
0: I still don't know what happened in Instructional League when they were putting out those exit – everybody's hitting 118 off of the bat. (laughs) What is going on down there? I still need some explanation on that one. But um, Julio's looked very solid at the plate. He hasn't looked overmatched. A year ago he did. And, you know, I tell everybody when you have the young players, you know, it, it's fun to see what they do in the first week, watch the last two weeks. You know, the pitching right now is just starting to come around. And that's kind of when you start to see where guys really are. But it, it'll be interesting because Julio seems to be kind of on the uptick right now. And I, I think it's great that um He's not in a hurry. I, I think he probably, yeah, I'm not saying he's not driven, but uh, if you compare him to Jared Kelnick, who wants to be here now and just you know plowed through the lower minor, plowed through A ball, and, and then you know, just a few games at double A, and I'm hurt, I'll be back in seven days, and he's almost got that right. But, um, <laughs> you know, the prospect of Julio getting a full year in the minors is a very good thing. And I think that he is going to move very quickly. But, you know, the idea that he can just go and concentrate and work and progress at, at I'm not, it won't be a normal pace. It'll be well above. I don't even know what's normal anymore for that matter. I think guys are, are, are coming through a lot quicker. They're a lot more advanced uh, when they get to the minors. But uh, just the idea that uh, he is going to have, I, I think, you know, I'm not saying he can't be a September call-up, but there, there's no need to rush him. And I I think that the progression that he has and getting those bats under his belt uh, are going to benefit him greatly, and I'm very interested to see how that progresses throughout the summer.
1: Yeah, I think while we're on the subject, Shannon, this is a good time to sort of pivot to our baseball-related questions because you're one of the few people down there who has eyes on all these guys who knows what's happening firsthand. And uh, there's some interesting... I mean, we're doing the classic back of the napkin try to project the roster thing and there are some questions here for sure this is you know the part where it does kind of get interesting so I wanted to start with the pitching rotation um, the Mariners have been very open about the fact that they're using a six-man rotation uh, there seems to be four locks in Marco Paxton Sheffield and Kikuchi I think Chris Flexen is probably in line for the fifth spot so then for that sixth one it seems to us at least like it's either going to be Justin Dunn or Nick Margevicius uh, what have you seen From those guys, or what have you heard from the organization about what they're going to do with that final spot in their rotation? Has there been any talk about moving one of them to the bullpen, or are they just going to let them duke it out and sort of keep their mouths shut until opening day?
0: Well, I think they're going to let them duke it out, but I think the inside track goes to Justin Dunn. I think they have a good idea of what Nick Margavichus is, although I think he is still a work in, in progress, and I think Scott Service really likes what he sees um but i think that the ceiling is higher on done and i also think that with what they sent him home you know the long laundry list of things that he needed to work on uh, and then what they saw show up in camp I, I think they are going to want to definitely reward that unless there's an excuse not to and so far there hasn't been uh, i think that what you're seeing from Dunn and stuff wise uh, is night and day from what we saw before the realization hit me uh, after his last start, my gosh, this guy was pitching without his weapons all last year, and the year before that, for that matter, and uh, that explained a lot to me. You know, he was in survival mode, and now to see him, because he heard that he had all of this in college, but we never saw it, so uh, to to see that back, um, and, you know, I think he was kind of a fake it until you can make it guy. There's a lot of confidence and some bravado with him, but I, I wasn't buying it, Um But now to see that he has the stuff to back it up and the relief that the stuff is back, uh, work is not an issue. He put that all in. And one of the things that struck me in that he said that, uh, because we kept hearing, oh, well, he couldn't do a lot during the shutdown. And and so he lost the velocity. and, And, you know, that's where a lot of, he fell behind. I thought, well, he was living down here with Jake Fraley. Why couldn't he do something in Arizona? I don't get that. Well, you know, the complex wasn't open. Sure, he could go throw to somebody. But, these guys in this day and age, their off-season isn't just go throw with someone. They've got this coach, that coach, this performance center, that performance center, uh, and none of that was available to him. He was a big Cressy guy. That wasn't really available to him either. And and so it really was a different off-season shutdown for him because of that. So he was able to get back into all of that this off-season and credits a lot of that for getting the velocity back and getting the sharpness back on his secondary pitches. So um that that was an eye opener for me because I was I was shaking my head over what we were seeing last year and oh this year's gonna be a make or break. It's time that he show you know more of what we heard of and I didn't realize that he was, you know, that deficient in the weapons until we saw them down here. So good for him. I think that he does have that uh, inside track. I do like Margavich, I do like what he did last year. I think he is intriguing that he is so young and still developing and uh, they won't put him in the bullpen. They'll have him pitching every fifth or sixth day or however they do it in Tacoma and ready should they need somebody. But then you're going to have a big decision to make probably not too far into the season. And, you know, who goes when Logan and Gilbert comes on board often those decisions take care of themselves. But uh, if it doesn't, then what do you do? Because Gilbert is very, very close.
2: Yeah, that start against the Angels, which he had a good start against the Angels last year in spring training, too. Uh, I feel like he did even better this time around. Like Just those little things that you wanted him to finish off or polish up seemed to have really put that extra shape onto some of the breaking balls. He seems to really... His stuff was like everything moved and he couldn't always master how he wanted to move it exactly and it just seems like now he's 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 got that to where he can get every pitch to do what he wants it to do
0: oh and that's what he did at the alternate site you know that's what his focus went into okay we're not really going to have competition here I'm going to work on the pitches, I'm going to work on the shape, I'm going to work on on the command and what I can do along those lines, I'm going to work on the change-up, you know, he had just, uh, he had a plan when he got there and I think, you know, from talking to people within the organization and seeing what we're seeing now and talking with him and knowing how he is, and you mentioned, uh, you know, he is kind of that pitching nerdy into everything kind of type guy, Uh, the fact that he could take that time and turn it into something where it was tough for a lot of people isn't surprising to me he just he attacked it rather methodically and now that we're seeing him down in camp you know two years ago he had the jitters when he had the appearance in the big league game last year the appearance against the angels that obviously was gone this year when he pitched against the angels he looked like you know any other major leaguer pitching against the the angels he looked
2: like a major leaguer that first time was against the was against cleveland i was at that game it was rough (laughs) it was (laughs) really bad they just threw him in against cleveland's a lineup but i talked to him about that and he was like that was actually great for me even though it was terrible (laughs) but he was like i knew like that one appearance showed me like okay this is where i have to be with with my stuff and it's not there yet and you know it just gave him like a a goal a point to work towards almost feel like the pitcher's have an easier time of it with the shutoff, and you know, correct me if, if this isn't how you perceive it, but um, because when you work on pitching, you can you can work on making your pitches do what you want them to do, or work on your velocity or whatever, but when you're a hitter, so much about developing that hitting is about learning how to adjust to how guys are, are going to attack you, and you don't have that during the shutdown. so. I wonder, I'm concerned about any development that, like, for example, Kelnick. he says he wasn't being developed, his camp says at least, that he wasn't being (laughs) developed at the alternate site as, as well as he could have been. I tend to agree with that. What do
0: you think? Well, I think his development was probably the same as anybody, any other hitter down there, and that's the situation that they were in. Um, I, I think that once he got out of there, I, I don't think anybody has at their disposal what he's got at his disposal in the offseason. His parents have got a whole baseball facility uh, that they've built. Um, I, I think kind of the thing that he was lacking the most was the competition, and, and you want to see him against age-appropriate competition. You want to see him uh, day in and day out facing live pitching and pitchers that can do some things. And we really haven't had the chance uh, to see that yet. I think it's one thing because, you know, you talk about everything that the hitters missed. Uh, you say that and then I look at Mitch Haniger and what Mitch Haniger was able to do away from the facility for so long. Uh, but Mitch Haniger has got the experience already. He's seen it all. He's faced it all. So I think that that is something that is, is very different and, uh, you know, I, I understand, you know, my stance on Kelnick is, is I, I don't believe they were manipulating service time with him. I don't believe they had gotten to the point where they could even do that. I, I think that when you look at the number of at-bats that he has had above high A, uh, you know, I don't care how good a prospect you are, you need more than 23 games. And, I don't believe, you know, and I'm with him. You, you weren't developed at the site. The development that you missed out was the same as the other players that were at, at the site. But that is development that still needs to occur. And for me, with him coming into camp, I, I just, I was open to. Maybe he can show something in camp because, as what I said a couple of minutes ago, the last couple of weeks, you're starting to see more of what resembles in season pitching. And, and perhaps, you know, he will be able to show that. And I think I wrote at one point, you know, I've, I've written all of this, but I, I think, you know, if he puts on a show, and I hope he does, then you've got a question. If he were to put on a show in spring training and they sent him to the minors and he lit it up in the first two weeks of the minors, first three weeks, and and they don't bring him up, then I think you have a question. But coming out of last year, I don't think you had a question because if you go back to 2000, at the end of 2019, uh, all the off-season conversations were, you'll see him in the second half of 2020. And, you know, he finished 2020 with no more at-bats competitive at-bats than he had the year before. So I'm not sure how he made up three, four, maybe even five months of experience in what he got last year. So to me, I, I don't see that he's even to that point where you could say that service time was being manipulated. And there's the argument, oh, he was better than anybody who was up the big leagues last year. Well, yeah, but that was by design. They were putting others in those spots because they're holding a spot for him. Had they been a competitive team, There would have been a better left fielder on that team last year, but that wasn't (laughs) part of the plan. So the fact that you can beat the (laughs) (laughs)
2: guy—it
0: wasn't about that. They had those guys out there for you, at the other young players. So the fact that you may have been better—that's not how this works. So I, you know, to me, I'm I'm all for him proving it, but I just, I, I don't, the manipulation question at this point, it's too soon. And, you know, again, had he been healthy and had a lights out spring training, I, I think then you might have some question. But I think there are too many questions. It's, it's funny because I kind of, I, I compared him to, because I, I was like, well, who's something that's somewhat comparable, but not historically? We're not going to go back into nobody else has done this. And I went and I looked at Taylor Trammell, another high school Um, pick another he was a first rounder not quite as high as Jared Kelnick was but he was somebody who had a progression you know one year here one year here one year and and whatnot and they were similar in the lower eights. and except Taylor spent a little bit more time there I'm like well what did he do in his first 23 games at double a and he hit like 309 with an OPS of like 900 or something like that and then afterwards fell off the cliff and what's to say that there wasn't that roller coaster, that next dip coming around the corner for Kelmick? You don't know. I just think you need a little bit more time to see it. Now, all that said, you get down here and you know he's going to have, you know, he's going to be one of the strongest people on the team. There's no question about it. You see the swing and you start to get it. He was attacking baseballs today like a, a guy on a mission. He hit for the first time on the field and I'm just laughing to myself and I'm like, yeah now what you know it, you've got to get him into games to see it but you know on paper in, in what he had done to that point, I, I just think that it, it I, I, you know if there's a grievance, I, I think it's going to be hard to and, and back to your point, Kevin Mather said this well he also said a lot of other things that weren't true. so you know what he said about what he was going to do with Kalnick, who knows? Because when he says, yeah, we're going to bring him up at the end of April, what if he was hitting 150 before then? Are you bringing him up then? You don't know.
1: So this is a, a good transition into the the other minor league guys, the other prospects uh, who are down there. Obviously, Kelnick is getting a lot of the headlines. Taylor Trammell is having a great spring. Everyone in the Mariners – universe kind of knows who Julio is and what he can bring to the table but outside of those big names Shannon who's someone that you've seen that's kind of holding their own at big league camp better than you expected
0: wow you know that's a tough one because the big league camp isn't really a minor league camp this year it's basically yeah you know I I can't really I mean Cal Raleigh is the one that really stands out uh there's no question about that Taylor Trammell in the first, what it's been two weeks in, was a a wonderful and pleasant surprise, and I want to get more into what he was doing in instructional league, because his instructional league kind of took an interesting turn about midway through. Um, But now that you're seeing the pitching start to get better, he's had a rough couple of days at the plate, so I'm interested to see where that goes. He definitely uh, caught some attention Early on, uh, it looks like that he has made some improvements on the arm in the throwing, which was something that he was very proud of, which is great to see. Um, I would say that those are probably the top two right there. Obviously, Gilbert, who is all but a major leaguer right now. Uh, I have not seen George Kirby or Emerson Hancock actually throw. They are down here right now. Brandon Williamson is down here. One Ben saw him. On the, I need to see him throw. Um, yeah, I need to... I, need to get to the (laughs) backfields, which aren't really the backfields anymore. Um, But, no, it's not kind of a situation where there are guys that um, are going to be a surprise. I think we know so much about the group right now. You kind of know who's next, and there aren't that many others that are down here.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And it's also, I think, kind of weirdly encouraging knowing that the Mariners are in a position where they even have this many guys that can – hold their own. Like, you know, you're saying there's not really a minor league camp anymore, but we have four or five prospects who are pretty ready to just be in big league camp anyway. It's not so much the audition phase anymore that we normally see in spring training. It's okay. If anything goes wrong, these guys are sort of the understudies. Does that seem kind of correct? Is that sort of what the Mariners are are doing here with the Tramels and Kellnicks and Julio is just kind of the, Hey, we know you're ready, but if anything um, goes wrong, like if anything, if anything happens, like you're one of the first calls we're going to make, you think that's sort of the, the idea of having them be getting so many at-bats?
0: No, I think it's all development. I, I don't think they think oh, that you are a Julio Rutt. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't bring Julio up in, in May if, if need be.
1: Right, yeah, he I would, guess that's true. It's mean, more he's, of...
0: he's way, way far away. That would be way too soon. I, I think. Uh, I think, you know, this plan revolves around these guys, and they're not going to take shortcuts on their development I I think those that are closer you know Cal Raleigh if something happened I think they would feel comfortable about bringing him up right away or or very close to right away although they're not too shy about going and getting any old catcher and turning him into something apparently that's now a thing that the Mariners do Um, but I I think that um, you know they're... All credit to
2: Tony Arneric on that because (laughs) what they've been able to do with catching even Josh Morgan who is back there today was framing up Gerber really well
0: yeah, no, it's uh, they do a great catcher work and it's fun. That's one of the things that you can see down here, and I've never seen so much catcher work before. But uh, Tony and, and Dan Wilson also working with them, uh, just you know, constantly in the bullpen. A lot of fun to watch. But no, I, I truly think it is about development because you know everything is riding on these guys, and uh, they don't want them to come up to the big leagues and stumble badly. They want them ready when they bring them up. I think what will be interesting, I asked Scott Service this morning, because in, I think this is a strong point, point. and it's funny to say, but I feel pretty good about the starters. And, you know, six-man rotation is pretty deep. And when you're talking about Justin Dunn not being your fifth guy, but your sixth guy, I, I feel pretty good about that when you think about traditionally what a fifth guy was. A fifth guy usually was a guy that it was usually six different guys, for that matter. So... You know, To have legitimate prospects there, um, I, I think, is, is huge. And then to have somebody that's got a little bit of a track record and it still seems to be a bit on the upswing. And Bergavich is, is your seven if you have to go that deep. Um, LJ Newsom is in there. Logan Gilbert's going to bump somebody down sometime soon. And I was kind of wondering, uh, I asked the Service, well, who's next after that if you, if you needed. Um, an emergency starter, and he, he pointed to uh, McKagan and uh, McKinney, if, if they got that I was going to
2: say, Darren McKagan.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there, uh,
2: so- does he still have the flow? I haven't seen him in a while in person. Does he still have, like, the blonde little Lord Fauntleroy curls?
0: You know what, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I would not know him if I ran smack dab into him. <laughs> All right, if um, you see
2: some incredible blonde flow, that's Darren McCacken.
0: Blonde flow. Is he tall or is he, what he, You know, what
2: am I looking he's like for here? Six, no, I mean, he's not, like, going to shock you with how tall he is. But okay. he's, pit, he's lighter complected, and the hair is just, it is white blonde, and it's, I mean, I'm assuming he hasn't cut it off. I certainly wouldn't cut it off if it was my main it's like a beautiful, blonde, curly flow.
0: All right. I will keep my eyes open for that. And bear in mind, they've all got masks on. So that's oh, sure. actually, you know, it's, they're guys I, you know, that were on the team all last year that I wouldn't know if I ran into them maskless, which is really, really weird. Um, but, you know, they were the next two. And then Scott pointed out that one of the really interesting things to watch after that will be, Who's going to pop first for the group that's next, for the starters? When you're talking about your Hancocks, your Kirbys, your Thens, your Williamson, what happens? And that's going to be fun to watch because, you know, they will all develop at different uh, paces. They will, you know, some, you don't know where they're going, but, you know, who really is next after that? And that is something that could start to sort itself out as this season goes on.
1: Yeah, it's very encouraging to know that even beat reporters don't totally know who every single person in camp is. Because I know we're all having that experience from home. The, who's this guy? The seventh inning guy wearing number 87. There's a lot of those guys that we are learning about Jose in real Godoy, time.
2: Godoy got me this yes. year.
0: Okay. I, I know them all on paper, you know? I know that, but it's like in person... The Mariners actually, they put out a picture roster at the end of last year, and it, this has never happened to me. I mean, it, it never, I, there wouldn't be anybody on it that I would not recognize in any other year. But because of the masks and the comings and goings and right. not, not having personal conversations with a large, you know, in person with a large number of them, I had no idea who far too many, I, I could not identify them.
2: I don't blame you. I look for the ears, and if there are ears sticking out of the mask, I'm like, that's Margavich's. <laughs>
0: oh, oh, we're all gonna have the ears if this goes on much longer. <laughs> the mask fatigue is real. We're
2: all ears.
0: Probably. Oh yeah, we are all gonna be elms when this <laughs> is done. Your ears, yeah. <laughs>
1: So, Shannon, we're getting close to the end here. I wanted to ask um, one final question that I think a lot of our listeners would be anxious to hear about. Um, Ichiro is heavily involved in spring training. We've seen tons of videos, heard lots of stories about him not only throwing batting practice, but also getting into sim games and taking at-bats against real-life pitching. Uh, My question is more like, how do the other players interact with Ichiro? Do you get the sense that they're kind of in awe of him or at this point, is he just around so much that they're kind of desensitized and treating him like any other coach?
0: Mm, I think they're very aware of him. I think a lot of them grew up watching him. And so I think that there is a little bit initially, it's definitely uh, awestruck, but you do see him walking with, you know, groups of players and that's just one of the neatest things, you know, when they're coming back in from the field, he's with other players and there are conversations that are going on. and, um, you know, just kind of that—I um, uh, don't think "allure" is the right word—the uh, persona that you know for so long. And this is something that really got me about him: is uh, there's a lot of warmth to Ichiro, and he is incredibly engaging <laughs> in certain situations. And you would never have known that at the time he was in Seattle, I don't mm. think. And so, as a coach, it's something that he has a passion for. I want to hear more about what he's been doing over the last year. You know, in Japan, uh, he's working to you know, help the game there uh, at a couple of different levels. And uh, I want to get into that a little bit more. But as far as the Mariners go, I mean, Marco Gonzalez was just giddy about facing him, which you know, Marco's <laughs> been around him for a long time. So uh, it's uh, it's been kind of a neat progression. And I don't know where it's going, but, yeah, he is back. He is out there every day uh, doing just about everything. So I'm working on the pitching like after everybody had gone in. Uh, the other day, you know, taking that very seriously. But, I want to um, hear what
2: Julio Rodriguez has to say about, like, the Julio-Ichiro friendship. Like, Julio giving Ichiro shit about not wanting to come near him after he hit a bomb <laughs> off of him is probably my favorite story of spring training. Well,
0: I think that tells you a lot about the relationship and about Ichiro, that Julio could do that. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, you ask about fun, yeah, that was a fun moment right there.
1: Great. Well, this was so much fun, Shannon. Thank you so much for taking the time so to talk fun. to us. Um, we Thank love getting like any sort of
2: bringing a little bit of spring training in Arizona for those of us who can't go. It really That's really what I was
1: going to say. We love any sort of tidbit, any information yes. we're so starved for, especially with none of these games being on TV.
0: <laughs> so much. Uh, hopefully we don't have to do this again like this. <laughs>
2: No, but we would love to have you back anytime. Uh, Tell the people where they can find you if you have like a regular radio, like a regular time where people can tune in to 710 and hear you.
0: Yeah, I don't think they've set that up yet, but you know, 710sports.com, writing the game reports every day. And then I get back on the 19th, and I've kind of been in hunter gatherer mode (laughs) down here. So uh, there will be a lot of writing between the 19th and opening day on 710sports.com. Fantastic. Well, we can't wait. Oh, I'm looking forward to starting this up again. I can't wait till you guys can get to a ballpark and back to spring training.
1: Yeah, for real. I was going to say, hopefully next year we can just actually talk to you about all this stuff in person in Peoria rather Absolutely. than through a computer.
0: Yes! <laughs> Had enough of the computer. <laughs> yeah,
2: I have a long list going of stuff that I can't wait to do when I can go back to spring training. And, um, the pizza place is tops on the list. Sorry, but you are very shortly out. You right after that.
0: <laughs> I, I I can concede to pizza.
1: Alright, everyone, thank you so much for listening. I'm Matthew Robertson. That was Kate Prucer and Shannon Dreyer. You can find uh Kate and I stuff at Lookoutlanding.com, follow Lookout Landing on Twitter, and subscribe to this podcast for more. We'll keep these podcasts coming as long as you listen to them. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you, everyone. Uh one last thank you to Shannon, and thank until you, next Shannon. week, goodbye. Bye.
0: Lord my body. It's been a good friend, but I won't need it when I reach the end. And from nowhere, I guess I take my time. Oh.